yippee ki It's the 138th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. Welcome to the second part of our three-part holiday spectacular. My name is Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. I am going to be your co-host for this episode. And yes, I am visiting Los Angeles uh, from the cold shores of New York to visit my estranged wife because one of my guests always assures me I have big divorce dad energy and I'm never going to let him let it down. But <laughs> let in a good down. way. Shut up before I get to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joining me uh, on this episode, uh, we were supposed to have Al Manorino and Ben Murkison on this episode, but they are watching the New York Giants and Washington Commanders game right now uh, because they're terrible sports gamblers. And it seems some of them are even worse fantasy football players, so they will not be joining us. But joining me, of course, is the human Star Wars encyclopedia. Uh, she was nominated uh, for Die Hard uh, for a Japanese Oscar. Uh, she actually was the Bonnie Bedelia role. I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, Amanda Rivas, um, you are having a rough day. Um, I know it's a week before Christmas when we're recording this, but the Dallas Cowboys... I'm so sad they lost. You just had to rub that in. I know. Yeah, it was a stressful game. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, It's it's not good. Um, Joining us for the first time in forever, he's like a Disney animated uh, prince because he is the magical lad. Uh, You might know him from the Not Couple Goals podcast, uh, which airs multiple times a month uh, via the Breakcast feed. I was a guest on that podcast for Ghost, where I talked about watching that while my child was literally being born. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but he was contractually obligated, like Frank Sinatra, to be offered the role of John McClane, problem, while Frank Sinatra was crazy old to play John McClane, this guy wasn't even born yet. Tyler McCarthy, welcome back to the show, my friend. And you have to not mute yourself when you're I was muted. <laughs> I didn't want to giggle during your intro. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Not welcome. Thank welcome to my podcast. <laughs> this, is how I, this is how I got my podcast is I just went on another podcast and started welcoming people. And now it's mine. <laughs> that definitely has. Yes. Uh, in the background, you will hear professional wrestler uh, Brandon. Um, a, a good friend of Amanda's, uh, who is now who went through a table as we talked through last week. So yes, he went he's... through. Yeah, he went through a table and he has survived. So y'all will hear the sounds of Brandon Bice in the background. Yes, we will. Okay. And if he wants to jump on, he more than willing to. He can play the. Uh, he can play our favorite cocaine snorting accountant if he would like on this podcast. But speaking of cocaine, oh, Ben's not on this podcast, so you know that was a running joke last podcast. Running joke last week. The, the the impetus, the man, I mean, he is the executive producer of all the Pop Break podcasts, but he is the reason we're doing this specific episode because he has seen like literally every movie ever except this one. And I, we don't, none of us got it. And it was immediate, like, we have to make your Christmas better. Um, he is the podcast editor of the popbreak.com. The Co-host of the Cinema Joe's podcast, which uh, many of us have been guests on. Actually, all of us have been guests on this year. Um, he is also the co-host of the TV Break podcast. He is the versus the MCU and the Bill versus the MCU podcast. Um, 
He is the second chair uh, of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he actually wants to be, but he's definitely there. No, it's kidding. He loves he loves Dan Cohen, as we all do. It's just we don't love his box office predictions because they never come true. Um, he's here. And he, yes, now he has seen Die Hard. Alex Marcus, it's been forever since we've had you on the podcast. So welcome back, sir. It's true. I'm so happy to be back. You guys stopped reviewing every episode of a Disney Plus show, and then suddenly I lost my invite. Look at that. I know. He was the king of the penultimate episode. But don't worry. We'll have The Mandalorian next year. Don't worry. We have a lot to worry about next year. But before we get into Die Hard, uh, we are going to get into our pregame segment because, yes, there is a pregame segment. Now, normally we'd like to do this with a piece of news. Last week we talked about uh, Henry Cavill no longer being uh, Superman. So we are actually going to be talking about um, Christmas movies because we are recording this, this one week before Christmas. Obviously, this podcast is coming out the Friday before Christmas. So we, I wanted to get everyone's opinions on movies I, I, I'm a, your Christmas classics, a movie that may not even be a Christmas movie, but it's something you have to watch during Christmas. So, uh, Tyler, I'm going to start with you. What is that movie for you? Uh, thank you for starting with me. It's, you know, it's a classic. It's probably on a lot of people's lists, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, A Christmas Story. That it, my that as soon as I go home, I'm going home in two days. As soon as I'm there. Nothing else is allowed to be on the TV. My mother loves that movie. I've seen that movie a thousand times. I can recite exactly what Ralphie wanted for Christmas off the top of my head. Uh, it's I love that movie. And we do the 24 hour marathon also on Christmas every year. Like truly, my mom will yell if anyone tries to put anything else on the TV until December 26th, until the actual date changes. Uh, it's a terrific movie. It's hilarious. Uh, if you can see Randy in his like galoshes and all of that dressed for Christmas and not laugh, then you don't get to celebrate Christmas. You have no joy in your life. <laughs> That's my opinion on that. I also believe that you are one of the few people left in this world who wears galoshes. <laughs> I don't I was when I said it out loud, I was worried I wasn't using that term correctly. It just means your winter wear, right? No, I think galoshes are like uh, they're like a cover for your boots or something like that. Oh, it's a special boot cover, right? Yeah. Or boots. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just a way to describe like all you of your winter clothes. <laughs> no, it's not like dungarees or jeans, like or whatever that bullshit was that every grandparent says. No, but I think you should invest in. You know what? I'll find galoshes for you and send them your way because I feel you. like you should wear them. They sound um, fantastic. For me, I just I, this is not a Christmas movie. But for me, just maybe it was because of the time it was released. I always associate this movie with Christmas. And that's Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know what it is about this movie. Maybe it's because it's a movie about families coming together. It doesn't really, it's not really set during Christmas, but there's something about it taking place in this timeless, like New York City setting that just reminds me of Christmas. And every Christmas, I have to sit down and watch this movie. Uh, if you've never seen this movie, it's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, Gene Hackman is amazing in this. Actually, everyone is in this movie. It's Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, Angelica Houston, Danny Glover. All the cast is phenomenal. The music's phenomenal. If you you could just stare at this film on mute and just admire the intricacies of the set work, um, 
it's just a fantastic film, especially if you're looking for like a, a if you love movies about families and, it, it, and it's, a, it's a dark comedy, definitely go check this out. I love the Royal Tenenbaums and I watch it every single year for Christmas. Um, Amanda, what about you? What's a, a Christmas classic for you? I'm going to go with what I said last week, which is a Muppet Christmas Carol. It is always, it's one of the first movies we start off with to kick off the holiday season is when Seth enjoys. Um, he, my little Seth Rivas loves uh, the Grinch a billion times over. So I'm like, I can get him to watch Muppet Christmas Carol. I am happy. <laughs> and it's such, it's so much fun. It's well done. I love the songs. It just, it puts me in the best mood and makes me just happy and ready for Christmas. So I love it. <sighs> I'm glad Alex. that was the rest. Yes, me too. Now, Alex, Bubby, what is, sorry, Jesus. <laughs> I could never, I used that. I do that when I used to drink a lot. I used to do that anytime I was in a bar. I'd be like, person's name, Bubby. I'm like, what are you going to do? And they're just like, oh, what is that from? And I'm like, you don't know it's from Die Hard. Come on. That was um, All of us laughed, but we all did it silently. Bill, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Yay. Yay for me. That's my Christmas present. Silent laughter is the best kind of laughter on a podcast. <laughs> it is. A hundred percent. Muted laughter means I've done my job. Alex, what is your Christmas classic? Yeah, so I don't have a tradition in my house of rewatching movies for Christmas. Instead, usually the Christmas season is a clue for me that I have to start cramming for my year end list of movies that I love to make. So I usually am like, oh, no, I have a week to watch 20 movies so I could put out my my uh, top 20 list of my favorite movies of the year. So that's what I usually do in terms of movies. So instead of talking about that, I'm going to talk about my favorite uh, TV special. Yeah, we're going to go to that, too, for everyone as well. Yeah. And so I'll just be the transition. I'll be like, you know, in a fantasy draft, right? That's sports. You guys talk about sports, right? There's like <laughs> yes. a swing where you go. Yes, from one there, to the is. Other. there yeah, is. There you go. Yes. Okay. See, I know things. I know Amanda things. murdered so, our league every time it was me, Ben, and Al in the draft uh, like chat. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, because <laughs> luckily she picked all the guys that turned out to be bad. So, so yeah, go. I know. Y'all got <laughs> it. Know. Y'all got your revenge on me. So there you go. <laughs> But so as you are the like the Kevin Costner movie swing vote, um, what (laughs) please (laughs) all the things to call me? (laughs) (laughs) I've called you a lot of nice things. So um, every once in a while, a little rain. The free ride's over. (laughs) Your ride's over, baby. Um, What if it all came down to one vote? That's what that movie's about, guys. I have seen it. Uh, <laughs> You've no. seen Swing Vote. We're so diehard. Like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but so the, the Christmas special that I wanted to talk about was the season two, episode 11 of my, one of my favorite shows, Community, called Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas. Uh, this is an episode where uh, Abed, who is kind of our main uh, meta character of the series, uh, he interacts with the world through pop culture, much as I do, and many people on this podcast, I imagine, uh, mm-hmm. he is kind of having a bit of an existential breakdown because he learns that his mom isn't going to be coming home for Christmas for the first time. Oh, and, the last two years for me. Okay, great. I can relate. <laughs> awesome. And, and so he has a dissociative episode where he and all of his friends become claymation characters and they have to go on an incredible adventure in order to have uh, therapy uh, so he can <laughs> resolve some of his issues. And uh, I think it's just kind of a beautiful uh, story about the way that we use art and media and these artificial holiday treats to really kind of latch into something real and emotionally honest about our experiences in the world and how sometimes media can replace family and those traditions can 
kind of take the place of actually, you know, talking about your feelings to people because it's sometimes easier to share a piece of media than it is your emotions. And uh, I think that's really what the holiday season is all about. So uh, that's why it's definitely my favorite. Excellent. That is a great. And, and like, like that is actually the best pitch for community that anyone's ever given me. Cause I've never really, I've, I haven't really watched a ton of it. And people were like, Oh, it's so funny. And then you just gave me that. I'm like, Oh, that's something I can 100% relate yeah. to. I should watch I, it. Now. I don't know if you'd love every episode of community, no, but you absolutely not. would love this episode of community. Yeah. For me, um, I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast as Amanda just went, uh she became a force ghost oh no oh no no she became nakatomi plaza um so uh let me find out where she went but i'll tell you mine uh it's a movie that actually premiered uh 39 years ago uh as of today of this recording and that is uh mickey's christmas carol it's one i've talked about a million times million times before they'll celebrate its 40th anniversary uh obviously next year uh premiered on nbc uh, not ABC, which was wild because we just kind of associate ABC television and Disney. But yep, it premiered on NBC. It was the first time we ever met Scrooge McDuck. And it's essentially just the retelling of, the Christmas, of A Christmas Carol. And it's the first telling of A Christmas Carol I ever saw as a kid. My dad taped it for me off NBC, complete with Michael Eisner's introduction. Um, and I loved it. It's just wonderful, you know, retelling, much like The Muppets Christmas Carol. It's very short. I think it's like under an hour. And it really gives you the same message that a Christmas story, like at the heart of a Christmas carol, I should say, not a Christmas story, Christmas carol, and um, has some wonderful songs to it. And it's just this perfect little chestnut that I watch every year. I've shown my daughter a bunch. She loves it. And it's like, um, they always talk about how it's one of Daisy Duck's best, like her biggest roles ever in a show. And that's like in a Disney property. And that's very true. So if you're a Daisy Duck fan, there you go. Uh, so yeah, but it's just this nice little warm piece of, it's like a good Christmas cookie or something like that. You just have it. You're like, it brings back memories. So for me, Alex, instead of consuming media, I consume food, hence so many health problems, but we're not going to get into that on this podcast, but yes, it's, uh, that's my slice of uh, television, uh, classic a christmas classic that I love. Amanda, what's a TV special or episode that you go back to every year? So I'm going to go really old school here and I'm going to say a year without Santa Claus. Um, I don't know that one. Oh man, it came out um, kind of around. It's it's by the same studio that does um, Jack Frost and Santa Claus is coming to town. It's like that Rudolph the Red Nose uh, right here. It's it's a, Rankin Bass, right? Rankin the Rankin Bass. Rankin, yeah. yeah. Um, love a year without Santa Claus. It's one again, Seth and I enjoy. We sing the uh, the Heat Miser and Snow Miser <sighs> song, and every time that was one of the first songs he learned how to sing, and so. Um, we watch it every, we watch it every year. And it's one, I think it aired on TV, what, back in 79 or 80, I think it was. So, I mean, they, they show it on TV periodically here and there. And then now we just, we, we have it on prime. So we, we watch it, but um, loved it. And I loved it growing up. And it's one that I go back to all the time. Originally released in 1974. Okay. Uh, wow. uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, what about you? Obviously it's an episode of Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, the Christmas <laughs> episode of Daredevil, that warm and fuzzy Daredevil episode. That was so now, um Before, I do want to say, uh, of all bands, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy does a cover of Mr. Heat Miser, and it is without a doubt my favorite Christmas song. So, so good. Oh, good nice. I'm going to find that. I'm going to find that. It's it's a toe tapper. Um, so 
full disclosure, I came fully prepared to talk about uh, that episode of Community as well. But <laughs> in the end, <laughs> I love Community. Uh, everyone should watch it. Bill, definitely watch it. Um, but on the fly here, I'm going to try to uh, pivot and go with another uh, very hilarious Christmas episode that is on a lot in my household, which is uh, an episode of Frasier. Any Frasier fans in, in, the, in the chat? Uh, Frasier. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a later one. Was, it rewatches it constantly. It's it's one of my favorites. It's like my favorite background show to just throw on. But the episode, I believe, is just called Moskowitz. It's the 10th episode of the sixth season. Okay. And Frazier meets a woman and they really hit it off. It's one of his best relationships in the show. And she comes over to say goodbye before her and her mother go traveling for Christmas. And that's when she discovers that he is not Jewish. And so she doesn't want her mother to know that she is dating outside the faith. So Frazier and the entire family reluctantly agree to pretend to be Jewish for what they hope is going to be like a 10 minute interaction with this woman's mother uh -huh. and it ends with somehow like the mother discovering niles dressed as jesus in the bathroom it's like <laughs> it's so funny uh so one of my favorite things about it and one of my favorite things about fraser in general is a lot of sitcoms don't do this nowadays but the whole episode plays out like a stage play it's yeah. it's the comedy is in everyone's exits and everyone's sides and little things that the audience sees but the characters don't um it's just, it's a hilarious episode of television. It certainly lacks the heart of uh, Abed's Christmas, but it will, if, if it'll make you laugh. So I highly recommend it. Oh man, those are some good ones, guys. I'm really glad we did that, right, especially right before Christmas. But now it's time to get into our main event, which is, of course, Die Hard. Now, of course, I'm just going to give you a little Wikipedia things just so we can everyone get ready, get hydrated, and uh, get ready to rock and roll. Of course, uh, this was released in 1988, starring then television actor extraordinaire Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Alexander Gudinoff, and Bonnie Bedelia, as well as Reginald Vell Johnson, William Atherton, Paul Gleason, and Hart Bochner. This was released by 20th Century Fox, and it was adapted uh, from a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Um, now, that's why this whole thing we were talking about with um, Frank Sinatra was a real thing. Amanda pointed this out to us before the show started. Uh, you know, there was a movie called The Detective, and this was based on that character, John Leland, uh, John McClane. And so it was in a contract that they had to offer 70-year-old Frank Sinatra the role of John McClane. And my God, I would have loved to have at least seen... I would have loved to have just seen like the testing, like a screen test of that. If Frank Sinatra yeah. was going, that would be uh, yippee kaye, motherfucker. Yeah. That would have been absolutely yeah. uh, a joy to myself and to so many others. See, um, I just really wanted to see him go through the air vent just to kind of like, would, could he have done it? Like, a lot of the physical or just tie himself and just jump off the building? Could, could he have done the stunt work? I don't know. Uh, uh, or been like, oh, what do you think? I'm stupid. I'm going to give you a loaded gun. That would have been actually would have worked with Sinatra or him saying fist with your toes. Fist with your toes, I would have think, would have thought so, that would have been the best. Uh, what yes, I, I don't want to picture a man in his 70s sliding down the pole of the stairs while hanging Carl with a chain. Just picture it. For yes, a I will. I will. <laughs> I, I don't think I would want to see Frank Sinatra starring in this movie, but what I would like to see is Phil Hartman doing his Frank Sinatra oh impression. My God. Oh, that was good. Oh, man. 
That would have been great. I loved yeah. when he did what they had to do. It was around the time the Duets album came out, and he was just uh, there's a sketch on SNL where he's doing Sinatra is just like yelling at Bono and all these other people. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so good. Phil Hartman, a national treasure, yes. gone yeah. too soon. Um, of course, this was uh, getting back on Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. Uh, McTiernan would go on to make so many action movies that Alex probably has never seen. Nope. Like Alex, <laughs> sell me if you see these movies. Predator. No. Jesus. Um, what? The Hunt for Red October. No. What? The last, the last action I've seen hero. The Sum of All Fears. Isn't That's, that a... I swear <laughs> to God, I will find you. I will find you. That is the worst fucking movie. Road <laughs> <Blood> Association. <laughs> okay, you obviously haven't seen Die Hard with the Vengeance. Have you seen The nope. Thomas Crown Affair? I have not. That's surprising, actually. Um, last action hero, Alex, you've seen that one? No, <laughs> no. If it was a movie in the '90s and it wasn't starring Will Smith, I didn't see it as an action movie. Oh, we have to start a new podcast <laughs> called Alex Watches Action. Yeah, <laughs> you watch. Action. I was. I spent my '90s watching Power Rangers episodes and Me being too. very happy with that. So did so did everyone <laughs> on this podcast, and yet we found the time. To that watch. was the pinnacle of action movie, as far as I was concerned back then. That and Men in Black. My God. Wow. You think you know a guy after three years of your podcasting second, with him. Your second best action hero is Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, well, I feel like that's okay. worn out, right? I mean, we've well, all seen I mean, Captain America, the first Avenger. He's fantastic. And uh, Did you see The Fugitive? No. <laughs> he won the Oscar for that. It's, listen, there's a lot of movies to see. It's on my list. I'll get to it eventually. It's not. I've, you show me your list of movies you have to see. I'm going to make the Bill Bodkin, like, meathead action movie list that you have to watch. There are some that are just staples. you got to watch. You made me watch every Marvel movie in 10 months. And you, you have loved to, it. So and I did. That was a gift. <laughs> so is this podcast, because we're. I know you're thoughts on this movie so um yes <laughs> this uh, we're off the rails so much i love it um so With yeah movie course, rock all those could run oh god we're running straight now i've seen speed okay good okay. okay no good all right good yes all right we're baby steps thank you i'm very happy you haven't seen point break i'm sure no, I did. We did a podcast about oh, it. Oh, that's right. We did. Thank God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was traumatized by this entire conversation so far. Um, okay. For everyone who forgot the, the synopsis of this movie, of course, John McClane is strange. He's a New York cop, strange from his wife, who uh, works in Los Angeles at Nakatomi, Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, he, Parenthood's the, Bonnie Matilia. Yeah. We you, must say. Yeah. Alex was like, I can't. Parenthood Hive rise up when he saw Bonnie Matilia on screen. I'm like, only you would think of that during Die Hard. That was the, yeah, that was a text message I, I sent Bill. I was like, I turned it on and Bonnie Bedelia pops right up and I sent Bill. I was like, well, now I'm excited to see the movie because Bonnie Bedelia is in it. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, God. So, okay. So they're estranged. He goes to LA to reconcile with her at her office Christmas party. Uh, but unbeknownst to everybody, a group of international terrorists have taken over Nakatomi Plaza for reasons which we may not know until later in the movie. And it's up to John McClane, the lone guy in the entire building who knows how to use a gun to <laughs> save the hostages and help, uh, you know, save the day. 
So that's like the rough part of the movie, uh, my rough outline, but let's get into it. Um, Alex, I'm going to get into you last on this part. Oh, God. <laughs> no, 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 because it's when did we first see this movie? Oh. The when, the where, the why, and the how. Okay, so I'll start. Uh, I believe the first time I saw this movie was, a, um, was probably in the 90s. I probably saw it on the USA Network because it, it was, at one time, it was the only movie it aired. Uh, as Tyler, the USA Network. As uh, Tyler, who writes for the USA Insider, will very be happy that I, I mentioned his, his team. Um, I watched it off that, and then I remember getting it on tape uh, VHS tape uh, in 1993 or four. And I remember watching it incessantly. My dad, of course, was my big gateway into most movies. So I watched that with him. And um, I loved it from the jump because what 11 to 13 year old boy, depending on what year I actually watched it, doesn't love a lots of guns, lots of blood and Christmas. So that was when I first saw it and who showed it to me. Amanda, when did you first see this film? And was it your cool aunt who showed this to you, who also who also scarred you for life with the Star Wars this holiday not, special? And she's, <laughs> she laughed so hard knowing that we did the podcast last week because she's like, yes, yes, the trauma. We have to have your aunt on the podcast about Star, a Star <laughs> yes. Wars episode. Yes. I want this to happen now. Also, I hope you share from my Star Wars advent calendar the Life Day bread uh, recipe that I sent to you, and hopefully you share it with her and she makes it. I did. We I are did. A fam- we are a family pod. We are a family podcast. Yes. So well, when did you though, see? When did you see this? Yeah. So I share that in common with you, Bill. That my dad was the one who showed it to me. Uh, it was not supposed to happen. Uh, <laughs> I was probably about five or six when I saw this movie. So, but my dad watched a lot of action movies. My dad watched. It was one of those moments where my mom stepped out of the room, and my dad's like, "Switch the channel back." <laughs> um, yeah, so that yep. that's how I first saw Die Hard, and I loved it. I anything anytime I got to sit down with my dad and watch uh, action movies and wrestling, I loved it. That's how that's how we bond. Um, so Die Hard, we sit there, I watched it, I loved it, and I watch it every time it comes out on TV. When I catch it, I watched it every year for Christmas. Um, my dad and I still watch it together when we can. So that's when I first saw it again, probably about five or six. And I was just like, this is so cool. That was my reaction to it at that age. (laughs) Your dad, a saintly man, a saintly man, if there ever was. Uh, Tyler, um, I feel like you were out the womb and your parents were like, this is diehard. (laughs) Pretty much. It was it was on in the uh, in the delivery room. (laughs) (laughs) Just like ghost. (laughs) Like Amanda, I definitely was very young when I saw it. My parents like did a really good job of being like, that is pretend, this is real, don't shoot a gun, don't punch your brother, but feel free to watch all of these people doing it. Uh, so I they, I got exposed to a lot when I was a kid. Like I had nightmares about horror movies because my brother would let me watch like all the slasher movies before I was 10. The first time I saw Die Hard, I was, um, I can't remember for sure. I had to have been like 10 or 11, maybe, maybe even younger. And my dad was just watching it in the living room. And I came out, I came out at the, at the moment where he's first fighting all of the uh, terrorists slash thieves, whatever you want to call them on the roof. When that whole, the whole like call, like no, no effing S lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? All that. (laughs) little Tyler was just like skipping through the living room and was like oh what's this now and I sat and watched the whole thing with him that's why you're the magical boy 
and it was great. And then like, because I've, I, I had it in my head that I missed like the 50% of the movie and insisted my dad take me to Blockbuster like the next day so I could rent Die Hard and like watch the parts that I missed and how disappointed I was as a child to be like, oh, I mostly missed the like parts about his estranged wife and how he's struggling as a father and like this whole trauma. <laughs> yeah, I, I did miss the like execution of um, Takagi but other than that, as a kid, I was like, I, I think I tuned in it right at the good parts. Um, now, Alex, yes. so we kind of know your answer to this, but why didn't. So this is on the list of like top action movies of all time. Yeah. But why didn't. So why didn't. You, and I'm not casting aspersions. I'm not criticizing you. I just your honest opinion. Why did this. Why did it take you to. I basically made you watch this movie <laughs> to watch this movie. Well, because there's a long list Besides of that movies. You, oh, that you felt bad that you made me watch all these other movies I really liked, you know. I mean, there's so many movies to see, right? And if you don't watch it when it comes out, and I was not born when this movie came out, so I have to make it a point to go back and watch. It's hard to choose what to watch and when. And I have to say, there is kind of like a really obnoxious part of the diehard fandom of like, oh, it's a cool Christmas movie for guys. And and that was always like very alienating to me. Like, I don't like that's not like a fun vibe for me. And I know that it's like you shouldn't judge a book by its worst fan. Uh, uh, that's how that saying goes, right? Um, yes, but- and it's and it is very hard though. It's very hard if you have such yes. a bad fan base to be like, oh yeah, I'll give I'll I'll give this oxygen, right? Yes, and so it wasn't that I thought that it was bad. It was just that it was like I don't. It wasn't something that I felt like I needed to see, and I, and I don't think that I had like a ton of high expectations for it. I was I always kind of assumed that it was like a pretty good version of the movie that it was. Uh, but I will say, as like a spoiler, it definitely surprised me. I, it was much better than I was expecting it to be. Because I just generally don't love like one guy against a bunch of goons punch him up movies. And that was what this movie was coded as for me. And so I just wasn't sure. super interested in returning and going like taking the time to go back and watch it when I also had to like check Citizen Kane off my list, which I did eventually, <laughs> you know, but there's I mean, just I did too. you've seen yes. my list, Bill. It's a lot of movies. There's a lot of things that I have to go back and try to try to catch up with. So it's hard. Okay, so we've all professed our love for it. Now, Alex, I'm just going to, I didn't put this on the format because, you know, I was racing and it's time to do it. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, I should have done it a week ago, but, um, or the three months ago when I announced we were going to do this. Uh, so you t- said it, it, it definitely exceeded your expectations. Love to hear what you, I mean, I saw your letterbox review. Uh, follow him <laughs> on letterbox at Media Thinkings. Um, Thank you very much. Of course. Um, at Bill Blodkin. Finally, I'll plug my own for once, even though I don't rate any movies. I just say which ones yeah. I watched. Um, what did you think of it? I liked it. It's a good movie. Turns out. <laughs> um, but I you just that said, was- like, you don't like the whole <laughs> one guy against the army of nameless facelesses, and yet you really liked it. What I liked about it is that John McClane, as an action hero, is really smart he's he's very charismatic he's always one step ahead of both the bad guys and the audience so like he keeps us guessing but he also like has this incredible relatable quality to him like he really has that everyman sensibility but i think a lot of everyman 
uh, action heroes are kind of actively trying to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just like you. And what's cool about John McClane is that he's not just like us. He's relatable to us, but he's also smarter than us and more capable than us. So there's like an aspirational quality to it that builds that wish fulfillment quality uh, that I really enjoyed. And I just thought it like played well as a puzzle box of like, how's he going to get out of this one? How's he going to get out of this one? How's he going to get out of this mm-hmm. one? And they consistently surprised me by how he got out of it. Like, I did not think he was going to end up swinging from the side of buildings as often as he does, for instance. <laughs> So it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty good. I think that um Alan Rickman is a guy that I love a lot. He's a really talented actor. I think his all-time villain status is maybe a little overstated. Uh oh, we'll discuss that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we will discuss that. But what I do what I do like about him in this movie is that like he he projects this air of like total confidence, like I'm the best at what I do. And then like some things start to go wrong. He's like, that's fine. I accounted for that. And then other things start to go wrong. And he's like, I'm fine. But now you can tell that he's not fine anymore. He's just saying that he's fine. And that was the part that I liked. Like there was a level of humanity to him uh, in like as that facade of impermeability uh, started to fracture that I really enjoyed that added to the quality so I, I would say that 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 is another attribute and you know bonnie bedelia is good and, and doesn't get enough to do in it and uh the other supporting cast is really fun like a lot of the supporting actors just are such great like that guys like the crappy fbi agents who think that they know everything and then like the arc that the police chief goes on where like he comes in as like this hard ass who acts like he knows everything and then by the end like he gets somebody who's above him who's shitty to him and so now we empathize with him also like it's really well crafted in that way and like the small details like the the limo driver they keep checking back in with him and like you know that's going to come back and like you keep thinking like well when is that going to factor into when is it and then it finally does and all the buildup was worth it. It's like a really fun payoff. So there's lots of little things like that that also enhance my feelings on it. But yeah, it's a very, very good movie. I'm going to open this up to everybody, this question, not on the format, but because you brought something up about John McClane, it's something I think that really, uh, it's kind of like he's, I see if you guys agree with this theory or not. Does John McClane work because he's such an antithesis to the typical 1980s army of one action hero? like a Stallone, like an Arnold, later on a Jean-Claude Van Damme, like where he's actually just one of us. He's a cop. He's a normal everyday cop who's doing ludicrous things because he's against the wall and can't do anything. It's not because he is, you know, however tall they are, juiced to the gills, muscles on muscles with guns size bigger than my child, and he's firing (laughs) them at the the bad guys. Is that what makes John McClane a really stand out action hero. Tyler, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I think a hundred percent. And when you dive into any behind the scenes, diehard thing, they'll all talk about this as well. You know, I think um, John McClane, no, Bruce Willis was doing moonlighting before this, where he was just sort of a charming romantic lead kind of guy. And then he gets this action role. And yeah, I think the reason he works is he is with someone like uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger or something like that. It's, like an action hero was a guy where a henchman's going to come and like whack a pool cue over his back and it doesn't do anything. Whereas if you came and like whacked John McClane with a pool cue, he's going to fall down and then he's going to do something interesting. And I think that really works. Like I feel like a lesser, a lesser movie with a lesser action hero, the scene where the 
roof blows and he has to repel off of it on a fire hose. You're not going to get that beautiful moment where he's praying to God and say, swearing he'll never go up in a tall building. He's almost crying. He's so afraid in that moment. And like, that's like what you like to see. He's not motivated by just being the biggest badass in town. He's barely motivated by saving his estranged wife. He's motivated because his other choices in all of these situations are die. And oh, I think hard. die hard. And so I had to do it. I'm sorry. I, I regret not doing it. I regret not beating you there. Yeah. All right. Um, Alex, fix that in post. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think that's what that's what really works about him. If anything, the parts where uh, Bruce Willis does have his sort of like quippy lines and badass moments, they're fun, but they also in in a lot of ways get in the way of that whole motif. But I I, I don't say that like I would sacrifice them, though, because they're still fun. Uh, Amanda, what about you? Is is John McClane's non, you know, muscles and guns type of action star persona a, a persona like honestly? he would kind of embody in later Bruce Willis and the John McClane character would kind of embody in later films. Uh, is that what makes him such a memorable and standout action star of the eighties or actually um, character of the eighties? I think so. I mean, I, I like that there's an emphasis on his intelligence and his, it's just straight up survival too. Like he's not just losing it. Like I think a normal person would sometimes, like, I think if we were in a lot of times there's people, people in the same situation and they would, completely panic and probably just freeze it's it's he makes a deal with what he has um whereas he's not relying on you know his muscles he's not relying on just sheer power he's not relying on you know any you know um like martial arts type of background or anything like that it's here's this guy in this survival situation it is do or die and it's what do i have around me does this work? No, that doesn't work, but I'm going to try this. Like, I mean, he's, he's still keeping it together, solving, try again, trying to work with what he has. And that is really, at least in this genre and that time frame, it is different because again, a lot of people rely on power, brute strength again. And, and what I like about this movie too, and about John McClane is it, it, everything doesn't always go right. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. Yeah. it it's, it doesn't go right. And so that's human. And it's a very, it's a very human quality to have. And for me, that's what makes him so endearing is it's, ah, oh, like this, this works, this doesn't you, but it's still somehow he gets through and that's, and that's very relatable. It's just the persistence and the survive and the survival instincts he has. Yeah. He yeah. comes off as a new, uh, like Bruce Willis comes off looking like a New York cop. He's not like Stallone or Schwarzenegger who have these really vanilla white guy names who are just like, he just happens to be this guy. And then let him look at him. He's <laughs> jacked and he carries a 50 pound machine gun. And you're like, yeah, those are fun. We all liked commando because it's ludicrous. Um, Alex, you haven't seen that either. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> you, okay. So all the Schwarzenegger movies, like predator is a good one to watch. Commando is just like, I've got nothing better to do. I need to laugh at something completely bloody and silly. That's I've fine. seen Batman and Robin. That's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the nineties. Oh. Yeah. We've oh. talked about that. Alex. Yeah. We've, talked, we've talked about uh, the by the numbers podcast. And you know what? It's not good, uh, but yeah, it's true. It's but uh, like Bruce Willis definitely um, like exudes this. He's just like he he feels like a real person who's very nervous. But also, he's a good cop, and cops are supposed to know how to you know manage situations like this. They know how to shoot a gun. They know how to 
you know, take down a bad guy if needs be. He just happens to have to improvise. And, you know, he tries getting help constantly, but no one will help him because no one believes him. Um, But Alex... Not to interrupt, but that is another interesting part of this is the fact that there is an escalation to his strategy. Like at first, when he first pulls a gun on, I forget his name, but uh, uh, Carl's brother, he tries to arrest him. Whereas by the end of the movie, he's just straight up trying to beat Carl to death. Like his circumstances change. He spends most of the first act trying to call for help. And then when that doesn't work, he just starts killing bad guys. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And also, like you say, like, well, he does what a good cop is supposed to do. And I guess that that's probably true. But what I like no, about I'm this just movie what a is that cop it's is supposed to do not a good but, cop. But he's like a <laughs> cop. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like what I like about this movie is that it's like not aggrandizing police. Like there's a lot no. of really annoying, terrible cops. Like the cops get in the way a lot and make a lot of really stupid decisions. Send her the car. Send her the car. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. It's just like, what was that car supposed to do? Besides ram a, a door, you know? Yeah, also, and then it got, like, stuck the, on, the, on the stairs. Like, didn't they foresee that happening? <laughs> I don't know the chain of command in these situations, but I'm pretty sure Principal from the Breakfast Club, <laughs> when he's, he's like, I'll pull him back, nah, send him the car. And it's like, no, no, pull them back. I am the ranking <laughs> officer here. You are absolutely fired. <laughs> send him the car. And then they, what do they do? They send in, like, three guys with blowtorches. With one guy has a gun. I mean, they're they're those guys are really shitty at their job. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, you know, none of them were expecting this. You know, it's, they, they clearly, yeah, yeah, they they clearly did not have a task force uh, to optimize. You know, the terrorism situation back in the eighties. So fair enough, but uh, but yeah, they they did not do very well. <laughs> do, do we all know the bit of trivia about the guy who gets hit by the thorn bush? No. No, I know everyone I like has trivia about this movie, which I'm just please just interject it at any time, please. So when the commandos are running up to the door, all badass, and they, you know they've got their guns and they're going. There's one guy who's walking through some bushes, and like he gets hit by like a pricker or a thorn or something like that, and just kind of goes, "Ow!" Yes, and, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was real, and they left it in because they thought it was funny. <laughs> It is I would have too. <laughs> like badass facade goes away immediately, and the audience like kind of gets the notion of like, I don't think these guys are going to do so well. Nope. <laughs> but that does kind of that does kind of speak to the reality of this movie, right? And it is something that I like about the John McClane character. Like, so if somebody went through what he went through, he would they would probably not be able to still be standing, right? So there is some he barely like, was, by the way. But that's the thing, right? Like, there's so an action movie that I have seen, Atomic Blonde, a great action movie. Movie. It was a really uh, good action Saren. movie. Yeah. yeah. Amanda, did you see Atomic Blonde? Oh, she's. Did you see Atomic Blonde, Amanda? Oh, a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I did so in that, that actually. In that movie, like it got that movie got a lot of like well warranted attention for having this like epic action scene, this giant long take where the characters get progressively like they get injured and it gets instead of it getting like more and more hardcore, it gets like worse and worse as it goes on because they're genuinely in pain and they're like exhausted. And I feel like that's what this movie does, right? Like it shows the wear and tear on his body. By the time that he walks out of this place at the end, he is covered in blood 
blood and bruises and cuts and he literally can like barely he's like he's like leaving it as if it was like a building that was on fire right and he's like physically and emotionally exhausted by the ordeal that's so much vulnerability that we just never get in most action heroes especially of that era but even today like we just everyone cares so much about looking cool and being a badass and taking out as many guys as you can and what he does in this movie what what the like john mctiernan and bruce willis do is craft a character who is he's mortal he's gets injured repeatedly and we can relate to him on that level then he's not this god he's not this adonis he's not thor with his hammer right he's just a guy who got stuck in a really crappy situation and he happens to be smarter than everyone else there but he's not invulnerable and that makes us care about him more yeah and it leads to one of the great moments at the end where he is being carried by both his wife and Lieutenant Al Powell, played by Reginald Bell Johnson, who we all know as Carl Winslow from Family Matters. Of course, he's been removed from he's been removed from uh, whatchamacallit from service because he shot a kid and he hasn't fired his gun since. But because John McClane is so decimated, that allows Al to be the hero. And I think that's more powerful because John McClane is so human, <laughs> allowing Al to reclaim being a cop and being a hero being and he really was the only cop who knew what he was doing the whole time um Amanda, i have to say you... that was my least favorite part of the movie was oh, like fuck. having the guy because <laughs> like i didn't need him to have a tragic backstory like he was really really good as that character without a backstory i feel like it was unnecessary to kind of like layer that on top of it like i cared about him already i didn't need you to t- give me a reason outside of the story to care about him and then to have it be this payoff of like redemption for shooting a child is like i don't like do we really need this in this movie and also like so that guy came back from the dead is that what we're led to believe like suddenly we're in a like a michael myers movie over here like i it was like i did not like that <laughs> i have another bit of trivia here i haven't read the book but i have uh done a few deep dives on the differences between the two and as i understand it and anyone who's read the book feel please tweet me and correct me but as i understand it that moment in the book is how it ends carl comes out and carl doesn't get killed right away carl actually kills quite a few people and wounds john mcclain the book ends with john mcclain essentially bleeding out on the sidewalk and it's like is he is he gonna make it is he not gonna make oh, it Oh, okay and um you know he does make it because i believe there's more books but it's also like a full circle <laughs> moment yeah <laughs> so i don't believe al is in the book i don't believe or is so i think the reason that he shoots him in the end is because they wanted to not have that be the ending. But it's like a very introspective moment for John McClane because there's no Holly Gennaro either. It's actually his daughter and the mm. terrorists that come in to overtake Nakatomi uh, Plaza actually have a few good points about the work that the daughter is doing with the company. Uh, that's not quite that good. So it's like a moment of him sort of having to realize that he's given everything to this cause of saving this woman. And maybe it wasn't the best for the world, but he kind of had to do it no matter what. Uh, Tyler, that doesn't sound like the makings for a great Christmas movie. Exactly. Im- imagine ending it with uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year is John McClane is just bleeding <laughs> out on the sidewalk. <laughs> I mean, I kind of would love it. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Well, kind of speaking of uh, speaking of killings, I guess like what did you guys think was the absolute best death or best kill in the movie, Alex? Since this is your first time, what did you think? 
Okay, so mine is definitely going to be a contrarian position, I think. But my favorite death was when Ellis got murdered because he's in a movie with terrorists and who murder people without any remorse. He is definitely the worst person in the film. And I was very happy to see him go. I mean, that's not that's wow. I mean, I don't know if it's totally contrarian. I mean, it's that's that's a good point. Nobody likes the guy. I mean, it's the only death that really made me cheer. I was like, thank God he's gone. He deserved to die. (laughs) He was awful. Yeah. Well, Tyler, what'd you think? Best death in the movie. I, it always tickles me. I got to give it to the guy uh, standing on the table. If you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. And then he just lights him up from under the table. It's Uh, amazing. Guys, uh, hold on one second. Oh, what have we here? Um, Something's happening. Uh, real quick i'm i'm the host of this podcast this is really weird that people are coming in and joining us right now um we're under attack uh what's what's going on um what's uh, what's yeah i'm uh agent johnson this is special agent johnson no relation uh um i'm bill bodkin the editor-in-chief of uh thepopbreak.com host this podcast um not anymore uh, so if you don't know our very own agents in johnson and johnson um ben murkison and al manorino have uh are a few beers deep and have joined us <laughs> at halftime um so ben you wrote stuff for the segment so please keep going <laughs> what's He's up like, fellas no, uh, so we, look, we, we received. Uh, where are we at with this podcast right now? Because we received the podcast notes and we're running it step by step. <laughs> right, we're, talk, we're talking about our favorite kills in this movie. Um, so, what are your guys' favorite kills? Which movie? Die Hard. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a, that was a joke. That was a joke. Um, oh man, Ugh. Johnson, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, I think, I think the most iconic kill for me, outside of you know the the of course the the Hans Gruber kill, would be um, when John kills the shit out of the guy on the steps. The basically the first kill, um, and then of course, mostly because of the transition of you know now I have a machine gun, ho ho ho. So. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually, is it considered? Yeah, it's the first kill. Yeah. It is 100% the first kill. Yeah. It's, I mean, come on. It's one of the most iconic parts of the whole movie. As someone someone who has only seen this movie once, does he kill 12 people like for the 12 days of Christmas or is that not? Does that not what happens? I've never, oh, I've never that. heard that. If that's, that's a, true, it's that's another amazing. argument. It's a Christmas movie, which we'll get to that. <laughs> Save Guys, that. I'm he not saying on this them. podcast that long. It is one thousand <laughs> billion percent a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, if we don't get to that question, absolutely. If well, Home Alone is a Christmas movie, this is a Christmas movie. What? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a terrible analogy, but okay. Uh, uh, well, before these guys go get on a plane or a helicopter, I should say, um, Ben, is this a Christmas movie? Oh, absolutely. The, why, it's 100% why a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Not only is it a Christmas movie, it's the best Christmas movie. And it's a Christmas movie that you can watch year round, which you cannot do with any other Christmas movie. All right, All right guys. Um, 
I mean, my favorite kill is going to be Tyler's too. Is going to be the table shot where the guy is hunting John McClane instead of using this machine gun, popping one off at a time, and John McClane just shoots him through the uh, through the legs. Never gets yeah. up to his chest. He gets him through the legs. And he that was dies actually my answer, way. Bill. Great answer. Great Fires answer. multiple shots off the legs. Yes, perfect. Alex, That's- what's your what's your favorite? I I started out. Oh, you're right. (laughs) He said his favorite kill was Ellis because he's a piece of shit. Uh, um, Justice for Ellis, the original. He's also the best character outside of the name. (laughs) Justice for Ellis. This is the hill you want to die on. Well, he's here. Al said he's the original crypto Crypto bro. bro. I can't. That is. I can't argue. I can't argue that. that. To be fair, Ellis has some of my favorite lines in the whole movie. (laughs) Agreed. Five, we does. went over the Bubby stuff already. Oh. Yeah, for sure. My favorite uh, thing with him is when he's trying to do his negotiation deal. And like, I feel like he probably asked for Coke and they gave him a can of Coke <laughs> and he was very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Ben is also our cocaine expert on this podcast. Yeah, now, as established last week. <laughs> That's, That's the best read. I don't uh, want that like in my bio, but uh, yeah. it won't be. It won't be. Um, uh, what's the Can't score have anything in your bio after today? Oh no, you cannot. Uh, oh God, no. Let's not go there, guys. Um, but let's get into our next segment before these guys have to run. Uh, is oh gosh, I forgot my questions here. Uh, who's the best performance outside of Alan Rickman and Bruce Willis? Because that's obvious. Who gives the best performance here? Alex, I'm going to start with you. I mean, it's obviously Bonnie Bedelia, right? She gets like so little to do and she's so great. She's like the heart and soul of the movie. She gets to stand her. The scene where she has to like issue demands to Alan Rickman is so great because you could see how scared she is and yet how much she's trying to project that like sense of calm and like that she's cool under pressure, which really kind of makes you wonder about the relationship. You could see why she would be with John. Like they have this kind of interesting uh, chemistry together, even though they never really are on screen together, except for the very beginning very end so yeah i think that she does so much with so little and she's she's definitely my favorite uh secondary performance which is ironic because i don't think they're ever really on screen together outside of those two scenes in any of the movies because she's in die hard too they're barely on screen together that's wild um ben <laughs> this is your favorite performance. i also know you're about 25 beers deep. How, Agent Johnson, who's your favorite performance outside of Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman? The character of Ellis is iconic. And uh, we've talked about him a little bit, but you got to talk about him more. I mean, honestly, do you need to more? Than- expert would go with Ellis. <laughs> we can't even, no one has talked about Hart Bochner or Brockner like as much as we have on this podcast in the last 25 years. He's a uh, fantastic actor in a gym. Just, you know what? All you have to really say is show him the watch. Show him the watch. Show him the watch. <laughs> Show him the watch. Amanda, who gives your favorite performance? <laughs> oh, this is this is tough, but I liked Alexander Godunov, Carl. I thought, I mean, he just, I mean, just nailed it. I mean, you'd think he was going to die, like, all wrapped up in the chain and all that. And then here he comes to the benches and he's so determined. And, I mean, knowing the backstory of this actor, Timmy, he's, he was like a ballet dancer. Yeah. Soviet Union, I'm like, a ballet dancer. So hardcore. Um, I mean, super intimidating, no mess, like just, yeah, just that, that, and of course he gave us, even though it's Alex's least favorite, <laughs> I liked the way the movie wrapped up, you know, with. I want blood. 
Yeah, I also love that Carl have it. I love that they do a thing that they don't do enough in action movies where Carl, because he's like boss fight level, he gets the extra scary gun. He doesn't have as the rest of them. I loved uh, not for his performance. I loved fake Huey Lewis, uh, who was the who took over like the front desk position with the southern accent. Because I swore to God when I was a kid, I'm like. Wow, Huey Lewis was in Die Hard. He's so good. He's so, he good so not good. But I always thought I love Reginald Bell Johnson in this. That's my pick. He's I know, Alex, you're like, I don't need him to have this tragic backstory. That aside, I think he is wonderful I as shot John a kid. <laughs> we, we know. I got 20 bucks riding on these assholes. <laughs> I love the Twinkie part. Um, I love the um I love how he gives shit to the principal from the breakfast club all the time. And I love how he just is able to get on an emotional level with with John McClain when they're on the radio together when he's well, John McClain's basically saying, I don't think I'm gonna make it out. And he's like, Yeah, you are gonna make this out. And that's a really good, honest, sincere moment that a lot of 80s action movies uh, pretend to have but don't actually mean they're like oh, let's have false sincerity but this 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 felt real again going back to what we were talking about earlier about the humanity of john mcclain well it's that would be the only buddy cop movie that you would actually believe they would become friends by the end of this yeah a hundred percent and well, they, that's that's yeah. part of it with reginald's performance too i mean he's just that that's and that's why i love him is carl winslow and everything i've seen him in he just has that warmth that a lot of people just didn't don't really have it's just it's just genuine to him so i think that just that makes you like john mcclain more i feel like yeah absolutely she couldn't be here tonight but i do want to point out that my wife when the the moment where they finally like get to see each other outside my wife spent the whole time watching that scene going kiss kiss yes kiss kiss I wish she was here to say that. I, oh, I, I do miss her. Over here. He's chiming in back here. Do you want to add in your favorite performance? For, for our first guy? professional wrestler on the podcast, let's bring him in. He is our Ellis right now. I don't know if he's ever done cocaine, but let's get him in. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but... <laughs> As he clears his nose, yeah, he's fine. It's, it's allergy clerk. season. Clerk of the store. I thought you guys ate donuts. <laughs> oh, these are for my wife. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> that guy, <laughs> what, a movie, dick. Right what a dick. Gotta love him. Not you, but that guy. Oh, Al Alphonse, um, <laughs> what do you got for your favorite performance? I mean, it's I I, I was actually if you go, say Alice, I'm gonna slap you. I was we're gonna, gonna go in go, that show power slap there, and we're gonna go. There was the first a hard, there was I honestly I was about to say Reginald Vell Johnson, but no, it's definitely it's definitely Ellis. Uh, Every time <laughs> I watch that movie, and it's I, a lot, you find more like ways to love this guy like he's so good in this performance the line the lines are iconic his delivery is incredible and yeah just like uh just like uh the other agent johnson said the way he says show him the watch like show just, him the watch. Little, oh. just little moments like that is, is perfect he plays every time he comes on scene he's like ever just <laughs> He's clear. He's clear. He's clear. He's clear. His sinuses every time he's about to speak in a role. His voice is so iconic too. Like in the sense that, like I don't remember seeing him in anything else. Like after this movie, and if anyone could jump in with like what I would see him in, that would make sense. But randomly, because we lost Kevin Conroy, um, like you know, a couple weeks ago or a month ago at this point, I think, um, I, I put on Mask of the Phantasm, and within like five minutes of that movie, I was like. Is that Ellis? And I was like instant. And I was like, looked it up and I'm like, that's his like second most famous role 
is, it is. Wow. voicing Mask of the Phantasm. And uh, yeah, no, he uh, he was great in both. That's good to hear. I assumed after Die Hard, he spent the rest of his career just on a street corner a nickel, like just being a smarmy guy. Guys, he was in Franklin and Bash for an episode, so there you go. That's all we need. Alex's favorite legal drama starring Mark Paul Gossler. Fun fact. I think he was um, in every totally. TV show. He was also I'm surprised in, uh, nobody, went with the, uh, nobody went with the Asian terrorist that steals a Snickers bar while he's waiting. Well, like who's in uh, Big Trouble in China? A crunch <laughs> bar. Uh, Big okay. bar, sorry. What a shitty choice, too. Excuse <laughs> you. Absolutely excuse you. Wow, Just for the crunch bar. Oh crunch. my gosh. My now, wife loves crunch bars too. But <laughs> um, never good, understood it. This could be a good way uh, to segue. I want to hear everyone's next uh wait, wait, I don't I have, I have one uh, I didn't oh. get my uh, favorite performance. Okay. It's it's Ellis, but in the interest of saying something new, I did also I really every time I watch <laughs> Alex is like, why did I make this my third podcast today? <laughs> no, I love Theo. Clarence uh Gale Jr. That guy Star of Walker Stranger. Yeah, the, the the hacker guy. He's people are dying all around him. He could not be bothered. He is having a ball this entire time. He's watching people die, and he's just like, "Oh, the quarterback's toast." He's j- just delighted the entire movie, right up until Argyle knocks him the fuck out. Argyle, Jesus Christ, that guy—the last guy I ever thought would be named Argyle. Uh, but you know, I just think of like fat Scottish men. Uh, that's what I think of. But like, guys, we all love this movie. But what is a part of this movie that makes your eyes roll that you're just like, oh, man, this is this is not good. Amanda, your hand went up way too fast. Only one. Only one. We were actually talking talking about this as as. Agent Johnson and Johnson over here. We're watching Die Hard in the background as we're 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 filming this. Um, how did nobody see these guys in the elevator at this Christmas party with machine guns? <laughs> like it's so noticeable. I'm like, turn to, ta- to quote Ben from every minute of last episode, cocaine. <laughs> yeah, it was a party. People, people were fucking. They were, which is, by the way, when you get this VHS tape when you're 12 years old and your yeah. mom's like, "I like Bruce Willis, I'll watch this movie with you." Of then there's that scene with gratuitous nudity in it. Um, it's real. Awkward. I would like it was the 80s, it, man. It was what? real no. awkward. That's the 80s. Uh, there was so, nudity uh, in PG movies. Uh, yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know which ones those were, but I'll take your word for it. Alex, what was the big eye? Since this is your first time watching it, the what was starring things- the village people? Um, oh yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Um, what didn't work for you? I know we talked about the ending, but what was sort of like a big eye roll moment for you? Yeah, so I guess the my eye roll moment, and I hope this isn't like sacrilegious, but the fight with Carl, <laughs> I thought was so lame. It was like the only moment where he felt to me like a generic action guy, okay. where he's just like, "I'm gonna be real tough and like punch you and and like tie this thing around you," and it was like, and with like the smoke billowing, and it just if I was like, "Did we just turn into every generic action movie from the '80s all of a sudden?" It was the most disappointing thing. There was nothing clever or interesting about it. There was it was just really and like the fight choreography was very like pre crouching tiger hidden dragon you know like there was no artistry to the fight choreography at all uh there was nothing interesting about it it was like really lame i was like very bummed out that that was like the send-off that that guy got i'm gonna go with the whole story arc of uh, richard thornburg the reporter played by william atherton who you might remember as the epa guy from ghostbusters 
it's just like i get what they're going for and he's really good being an asshole i but, think he's my ellis i really liked him i thought that I, thing no, was really fun he, no 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 <laughs> again he's a fun character but his whole storyline about putting the children on tv and getting the maid deported to the via the ins and all that stuff <laughs> was ah it's just you could cut that entire part from the movie. No, it's so, the whole, <laughs> I, it's the, so maybe the best viral. part of the whole movie is when he like pisses off the news anchor and it ruins this telecast. No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. But no, the that whole was all set up for the sequel, it was set up for the sequel. You needed that to happen. <laughs> that's right. Alex, it does continue over to Die Hard 2. What's the subtitle? Die, Die harder. harder. Uh, of course, yes. yeah. <laughs> okay, you didn't know that, right? No, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you guessed correct. So, Tyler, what did it work for you in this movie? Um, I guess it's to, not to, I know we keep talking about him, but to go back to the scene with Ellis, Ellis. when he's <laughs> finally betraying, or he's, he's trying to execute his dumb cocaine fueled plan to like get John to surrender. Genius plan. At, oh my it's god! A terrible plan. <laughs> I'm never going to Nakatomi Plaza with you, Al. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> I think Ben is there right now, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> he's on the top. He's he's trying to execute this plan, and it's like a really like tense moment, and you know it's not going to go his way. John and Hans are like essentially bonding over really knowing who the other one is, um, and then you have Ellis like there a total fucking idiot not knowing how <laughs> he is and then they add the line where at one point he's like hans put the gun down this is radio not theater and that line makes me cringe because it's like it's clear that like someone was watching it and was like hey just in case the audience is really effing stupid let's add a line where we say out loud that ellis is in danger and it's like it's such a good scene that's just watered down completely by that one line i'm gonna say this one time and one time only Every time I watch Ellis, he reminds me of my dad's brother. It's like <laughs> kind of scary. Same beard, same smile. If he did cocaine, I'm not going to judge him. He was a bartender in the 80s. Who knows? Uh, is, is it just me or is Ellis... Is it just me or is Ellis currently in charge of Warner Brothers Discovery? <laughs> oh, <fuck yeah>. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. Okay, that's what I thought uh, so. Okay. No, or that is Bob Chapek. Who knows? Uh, but it's, Ben, uh, I know you love this movie so much, but what does it work for you here? Uh, I hope it's the Agent Johnson part that you've decided to basically write a sketch <laughs> no, about. Absolutely not. Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson are great. Uh, it's uh, it's fist with your toes because I tried it and it does nothing for me. <laughs> so if you're having anxiety, uh, fist with your toes is not going to work for you. That's the only no. thing that uh, that doesn't work. I, that's that's a no from me, dog, because that sets up the reason he has no side. Why he doesn't have shoes? Yeah, you need it. Um, also because the terrorist necessary. that he killed had shoes and feet smaller than his sister. But other than that. That is true. Uh, did everyone get a, a chance to talk about what they did not like about Die Hard? Want to jump in? Are you okay? Okay, we're on. We're a team on this one. Okay, now I I did it. Oh boy, I did it because this, it doesn't is, have to do with Ellis. There's nothing the wrong with Die Hard. Thank you. It's perfect. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's oh. a perfect movie. And actually, I Al has said that many times to me in the past. Now, Alex, perfect. this is something you brought up. Yes. And I'm gonna let you go first. My question is: Is Hans Gruber the ultimate? action movie villain and okay, if so he's like, not then who 
I mean, he's not. He just isn't. I think that he's fun. He's there's things that I like about him. I think, as I said earlier, I think he was a bit oversold to me as much as I like Alan Rickman. I don't think that he is. Uh, he just doesn't get to do enough in the movie for it for that to be true. Um, I'm going to be lazy and say that the best action villain is Heath Ledger as the Joker, because like he's oh, you son like, of a bitch. It's, it's just like, how answer. can you beat that answer? <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> but runner up runner up because that's like too obvious runner up is philip seymour hoffman in mission impossible 3 which is like one of the best action villains of all time i'm gonna find her i'm gonna gonna kill her (laughs) fucking nonsense it is not i don't know what he's doing in that movie but it's amazing Uh, by the way just 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 an announcement for season four of this podcast we will be rewatching all the mission impossible movies and fun fact i've never seen one and two Oh, you'll like, well, you'll well, like, you'll one, like of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, haven't I, seen I've heard. two since uh, it came out and I bought the Make sure to watch two like in the middle of the day. So that way you definitely don't fall asleep. <laughs> and, and potentially high. Um, ben, is Hans, Hans Gruber the greatest action villain of all time? Unquestionably, yes. Next question. Okay, Tyler. <laughs> Um, I think there's two types of action villains. There's the ones who can do it their damn self, and there's the ones who organize their chess pieces. And when it comes to the ones who organize, there's the Philip Seymour Hoffmans, and then I guess Dwayne The Rock Johnson from Fast Five. There's those types. And I think when it comes to like the chess piece type, it's Hans Gruber. Everyone is compared to Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber is the GOAT. Do the, does the, Wait, does do you does see the, the Rock is a villain in Fast Five? He, well, oh, this yeah. is a five. <laughs> I think you mean Black Adam, where he is a historically he's a great villain. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's like a super cop. He's the cop who can't be can't stopped. Be stopped yeah. uh, but spoilers, we'll be talking about Hot Fuzz in season four as well. Um, does The Usual Suspects count as an action movie? No. Mm. It's a crime movie. It's, it's a crime movie. movie. If I could cheat as the editor-in-chief of PopRate.com, <laughs> I would say Kaiser, yeah. Kevin Spacey. You know, but uh, also, also I, it's actually, you know it. what? I don't want to say Kevin Spacey, so never Kevin mind. Spacey no. in real life might be the greatest villain. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> so we're going to pretend I didn't say that. I, uh, man, I'm going to go with Hans Gruber. I'm going to go with Hans Gruber because I don't have a better answer. But Alex, the, the Joker is, <sighs> this is why you're the podcast editor of yep. Um Al, Hans Gruber, the best. Is he the GOAT? You have to, to give an audible answer on yeah, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think he's definitely the the like the most me- like the people's choice, like the most memorable. I, I I think you could safely say that Heath would be up there, but I also doesn't don't really by the end of it, I don't even consider him a villain because he's just creating chaos. There's no like villainous plot for him. To, oh, I want to be this he's just causing chaos at, at a certain point he's just fucking he around. has his plots though with the whole you know rachel he, and he has his plots to get to the end goal of just like i'm i want me and you to fight all the time forever like that's not <laughs> no that's, that's not the lego bat that's the lego batman movie yeah no <laughs> no i know i'm kidding but, it, it but yeah no i'm just saying like batman hans movie. had like no he had like mm-hmm. i'm gonna be rich as fuck this is the way i'm gonna do it so, Asian yeah. Dawn? <laughs> My favorite lines. Uh, Amanda. <laughs> is, is, did he read uh, it in Time Magazine? Yeah, he did, he did in yeah, Time Magazine. Magazine. Yeah. Um, Amanda, is he the GOAT? 
Oh, I'm so back and forth on this because again, we were talking about this before and oh man, because the Joker is a really, really good answer. And I kind of circle back to like Mark Hamill's Jack, uh, Joker in, you know, the animated Batman series. But mm-hmm. oh man, I mean, I'm so torn, but I'm still going to say he's the goat though. I mean, because I mean, you just, Hans, I mean, who, who can't cheer for somebody who's trying to take down the corporations, I guess? You want to get money? I don't know. It's just, he's just so just so charismatic that you just can't help but like him, even though he's just kind of, he's, you know, he's, he's obviously a villain. He's just such a cool suave villain though, that I'm like, okay, this is just, I mean, using your brains versus your, you know, using chess pieces. It's, I mean, I'm going to say, yes, he's the goat. All right. So now Brandon, what do you got? On air. On air. John Malkovich using chess pieces, using actual convicts to go out, kill people. He didn't even kill anyone until Jan. He let everyone else do the chaos, right? And then at the end, they're going through Las Vegas, and he dies. But he's playing chess with the FBI. He's got um, mullet going on, trying to be action hero. Nicholas Cage, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the worst uh, movie ever. Uh, uh, Alex, that's another movie that Al, we're starting another podcast called Alex's Action Movies because uh, he apparently has never seen uh, many action movies from the 80s bring me or 90s. On, bring me on for Broken Arrow, please. <laughs> you fucking love Broken Arrow. We have had way too many conversations <laughs> offline about Broken Arrow, which, uh, Alex, have you seen Broken Arrow? No, I've not seen Broken Arrow. Travolta, Christian Slater <laughs> classic. Um, Okay, we did bring this up already, so we know Alan Ben's answers here. But Alex, I'm going to start with you because you've heard this theory thrown around yeah. a million times. You have now seen the movie, and I'm not going to judge you as a human being based on this. <laughs> I want you to think about how I just calmly said that and read the subtext of that. Sure. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, it's obviously a Christmas movie. This seems like a dumb argument, having seen the movie. It's about families reuniting around the holidays season. It ends with like confetti of broken like paper of paper that is meant to emulate snow, like a perfect ending to a Christmas movie. It's obviously a Christmas movie. It's thematically the setting. It's Christmas movie. People are stupid if they say it's not. That is the correct answer. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Um, uh, Tyler, I don't know your answer, so I'm going to ask you. Again, I'm not judging you as a person. I guess I am because I just said you're stupid if you disagree. <laughs> That's normally Choose me who says something like that. So I'm glad <laughs> you've like just taken a little bit of that from me. That's my gift to you. Just at the risk of losing everyone, guys, no. A movie that takes place at Christmas does not is not a Christmas movie. You could, and, but hang on, I love that about Die Hard because you can watch it year round. What am I going to watch Home Alone in July like some pervert? No. Hold on. I will 100% watch Die Hard any day of the week. <laughs> Wait a any second. calendar mom. Did he just make my argument? <laughs> Wait, why are you a think... pervert if you watch Home Alone? <laughs> Did he just make my argument about Home Alone? Yeah, I don't know what your argument about Home Alone is, but I have to read it. Like Home Alone or a Christmas story like in July or anything yeah. like that. You're a psycho if you do that. But Home Alone, you, said a, you said a pervert. If which Home Alone, is, if Home Alone is considered a Christmas movie, so is Die Hard. So what, you're how, saying, how does that work out? I don't get that. 
<laughs> Al just got give, mad. Give me the give me the reasons why Home Alone is a Christmas movie. It's a movie that takes place at Christmas. It's about a Christmas vacation. It's about family not having. You wish that you didn't have a family, but then when you don't have one, you miss it. You realize what you care about. Christmas is all about John families Candy's coming together, and that's what that's what Home Alone is about, and that's what Die Hard is about. It's about families and coming together. Like, oh. The plot hinges on the Christmas season, whereas okay. Die Hard they're there for the Christmas party, but then everything else has nothing to do with Christmas. It's just said Christmas party. Families coming together. It was the big deal that they they, Listen, they uh, it just takes well, place during Christmas. Christmas. It has Christmas music. There's Christmas theme things oh, that happen oh, in oh, it. It's I during a Christmas party. Now. It's about families reuniting. It's the it's a fucking Christmas movie. You're out of your mind. <laughs> I got so I, I know. Hold on. I know you're new here, Brandon, but you're not. Also, you have a dangling earring, and I'm gonna give you a lot of pre- credit for that. Um, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Oh, he's he's he, he can beat all of us up. So I'm going to agree the with him. Gremlins. It's a Christmas movie. All yeah. right, Amanda, Christmas movie. Christmas movie, absolutely. I mean, what? How else could you get all these people in the building outside of a Christmas party? It has it's it has to be it's it's, it's on Christmas. That's the yeah, whole thing. It's, it's, that's the other thing. It's like American corporate culture. Who exactly. wants to party in May with your yeah. employees? It's only Christmas. At the it's office. The only time the you have office. a party at the office is his yeah. Christmas party. That pregnant lady would not be having to sit on a rock if it wasn't a Christmas party. Yes. She would be home in sweatpants. That baby's bold of them to make a, It's bold of them to put a pregnant lady in that movie and not have an emergency birth scene at all. Like, yeah. they, like I was surprised. It was <laughs> just laying right there for them. Um, Agent Johnson. I'm sure uh, it's on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I also I think like that's that. is that, is that pun intended or pun unintended? <laughs> as, as as a double dad, he did not mean for that to be come out that way. But I'm going to say, if it's on the cutting room floor, keep it there. Uh, and Ben, we know what you think. It is a Christmas movie, obviously. Agent Johnson. Uh, All right. Okay. All right. It's time, guys. It is time. We got to go. We need to get back to this game. Good luck on your uh, scenic helicopter flight over LA. God, it's a battle out there, guys. It Just truly like fucking is. Saigon, right? <laughs> I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> Later, guys. Uh, looks like Later. we're gonna need some uh, more FBI guys, I guess. Um, oh, Bill, <laughs> that was so funny. That was so funny. <laughs> that was really good. That okay, was- I have to say. That was all Ben's idea. <laughs> I came up with the idea of them showing up and saying, ladies and gentlemen, the FBI. And Ben was like, no, <laughs> I have this whole thing in mind. <laughs> and so thank you, everyone. That was Ben. Uh, you could follow him at BD Merkison on Twitter, Al Manorino at Al Manorino on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. Go follow them. They're great guys. So they want they are both they both love Die Hard so much. They just like we have to come on. Alex, I hope you're okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I have Tyler, I didn't know that only perverts watched Home Alone <laughs> outside of. I think Christmas. Tyler's right, Bill. I think he's right. I, I know. If you walk in a room and someone is watching Home Alone in the summer, you are you're leaving that room. Tyler. Something weird's I'm going. I'm not saying you're wrong. I've never <laughs> heard it before. It's fucking hilarious. It's so good. I'm going to use that argument for the rest of my life. That's serious. 
Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> This is why, like, I have to say my heart is so full these last two podcasts because we have laughed so much. And listen, if it's not a good listening experience, that's fine. It's for it's more for me than you guys at this point. But um, Alex, you can't answer this question. Next first part of this question, because you've only seen the first Die Hard. But Tyler, start with you. What is the best Die Hard sequel for those who don't remember? Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Then there's Live Free or Die Hard and Another Day. That's the one with Captain Boomerang, right? The last one is with Captain Boomerang, yes. Whose name, I don't give a shit. He's Captain Boomerang for now (laughs) until the end of Jai Courtney is his name. But that one is so fucking bad. Um, So which one is it? Which one's your favorite sequel, Tyler? For me, it's Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. It is. If you watch Die Hard 2, I watched Die Hard 2 last night just because I'd watched one and I was like, what the hell? Um, It goes so off the rails. It becomes so the action movie we keep talking about where he's just action Jackson. He's the big hero type, unflappable. Another another 80s action movie that Alex didn't see was Action Jackson. I thought you made that up. I didn't know that was even a movie. Oh, it's so a thing. (laughs) And then Die Hard 3, uh, it gets back to basics. He's just back to being like a New York City detective. Yeah, He's very down on his luck. They really undo the whole Holly Gennaro story. Spoilers, Alex. Um, I will not be watching the other Die Hard movies. It's okay. (laughs) Ah, okay. (laughs) And the only villain they've had so far, I think, that can rival uh, Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber, where do you reach? You reach for Jeremy Irons. Um, He's fantastic in that movie. And it's 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 he really good famed cinematic pervert jeremy irons <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> that was uh quite yeah he's yeah. actually introduced in that movie they like pan up and he's watching home alone and at the calendar <laughs> <laughs> it's it's even worse tyler and, and amanda knows the scene too where they have that really awkward sex scene in it so it's yeah. like um yeah he's totally a pervert um but alex i actually think samuel L. jackson's also in it I think you actually would like Die Hard 3 yeah. because it is very much the tenets of this film where it's about them trying to outsmart stuff. It's more of a cat and mouse type game for a lot of it. So it's way more interesting than, say, Die Hard 2, which is a pure shoot 'em up, Die Hard 4, which is just a it's a thing. And Die well, Hard and 5. Famously, sure. I know I, I've not seen these movies, but I do know that famously Die Hard 2 is not actually was not written to be a Die Hard movie. It was just a generic action movie scripts that they had on the table. Yeah. And they were like, crap, Die Hard was huge. We need to make another one fast. Let's just use this and we'll insert John McClane into the script. And that's why it was uh poorly received i believe the same is true for die hard 3 i believe it was originally going to be called simon says and be a yes. cat and mouse game and then they were like let's just make it a die hard it was and uh dennis frowns with an all-time terrible performance in die hard 2 holy <laughs> do we see his butt or is that just reserved for nypd blue just for nypd blue <laughs> darn, darn. Well, it opens with the, the main villain of that movie it opens with him doing oh. tai chi and that's william sadler Yes. Ah. William Sadler, the president from Iron Man 3. Of course. <laughs> and it is sweaty. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very sweaty. Um, uh, also, so, Tyler, the second part of this question, what is your favorite Die Hard on a uh, film? Because in the 90s, there was plenty of Die Hard on us. And what's that? Die Hard on a plane, executive decision. Die Hard on a bus, speed. Die Hard on a plane again, turbulence. Uh, 
Die Hard on a cruise ship. I'm going to a third time, yeah. Air Force One. Yes, I, die I hard think that's what I'm going to have to go with is uh, Air Force One. My wife and I, every once in a while, just start thinking about Air Force One and throw it on. We I, Honestly, I watched Air Force One two weeks ago. Like I, That is a good movie. Go Everyone's giving it their all. Anniversary Brothers podcast episode where we talk about Air Force One. Top 10 re- Glenn Close performance, Air Force One. As the 100%. Right behind Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, she so dramatically prime. tears up all the signals signatures from the cabinet trying to remove Harrison Ford from power. Mwah, chef's kiss. And you've seen that one, Alex? Yes, I have seen that one. Oh, okay, that's all right. Yeah, we got you. We got one. It's a Glenn Close movie, of course. Oh, it is a Glenn Close movie. <laughs> uh, no matter what the circumstance, if I ever have to punch someone and knock them out, I'm saying get off my plane. I don't know why it's going to make no sense, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Sir, this is I a hope, Wendy's. <laughs> I, I also hope it's someone who's watching Home Alone in June. <laughs> get off my plane, you pervert. Boom. Uh, so this is a Wendy's. Who cares? Uh, Amanda, your favorite tired scene and your favorite Die Hard Anna film. Oh man, I'm going to echo Tyler on this because Die Hard with a Vengeance, it's, I mean, Jeremy Irons is iconic. You really, I mean, to rival and to get up there with Alan Rickman and to be like, yeah, this is Hans Gruber's brother. It's like, this is so awesome. It's like double dose of awesome for villains. It's like, this is great. And um, I just really like the dynamic between you know, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson, which I feel like we talk, there's a lot of talk about a lot of Samuel L. Jackson's other roles and in different movies, but people never really talk about that was Die really Hard. good one. Yeah. It was really good. I, I really enjoyed him in that. And I mean, again, you know, we all poke by him. Like, you know, obviously it was snakes, you know, with snakes on the plane and all that kind of good stuff. But I mean, but I loved him in this. And so yeah, I this is this is great for me. And Air Force One, I mean, how can you not love Air Force One? That was a I went between like speed and then I went between Air Force One and it just Air Force One wins for me. <laughs> I'll give a special shout out to Executive Decision because they kill off Steven Seagal real quick. And that's oh, not a spoiler that's out there. Um, that's That was out there in the marketing. Uh, but Speed is my favorite diehard, Anna. It's an all-time great action film. In fact, it shouldn't really even be considered a diehard Anna type of movie, but it is uh, considered that because it's a great movie on its own. Keanu Reeves is awesome. Jeff Bridges. And, you know, one of my all time favorite 90s action villains of all time, Dennis Hopper, was absolutely awesome in that film. Um, my favorite one, I do love the shoot 'em up aspect of Die Hard 2. But, yeah, it's Die Hard 3. It's like I, I mentioned before to Alex. It was very clever. It's a good time. It's uh, Samuel Jackson is great. Uh, Brandon, I would be remiss to ask your favorite Die Hard sequel. I mean, it, I got to go with everyone else. It's three. I mean, when you're starting off with Jesus, it's like, I didn't know you're Puerto Rican. He goes, I'm not. It's hey, Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> you got to love it. Alex, uh, of the Die Hard sequels, will you watch any of them? I mean, if you make me, I guess I'll watch the third one. <laughs> I would say you would but actually like the third one. But I'll your say of my favorite... Of- of yeah. My favorite Die Hard Anna movies, yeah. I think obviously it has to go with Die Hard Anna Skyscraper in the movie Skyscraper. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I think that that's so funny when they were like, yeah, we'll just 
just isn't that literally what Die Hard is? Die Hard is on a skyscraper already. But yeah, no, that's a terrible movie. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> rock is just taking lots of lots of strays today. Uh, today for the rock. But um, but yeah, no, I think out of these, I would probably go with Speed because the chemistry between you know uh, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock is just unprecedented. And Dennis Hopper, honestly, I think Dennis Hopper is a better villain on screen than Hans Gruber is. But you know, I think that's a, that's clearly an unpopular popular opinion in this podcast i wouldn't say that's a i wouldn't say it's a bad take at all i was thinking about it he's on the cusp for me definitely i like a villain that has a really good plan but then is also unable to be completely unhinged at the same time because that really makes you feel like you just don't know where you have no solid footing because if you can if you can respect the intellect of a person there's like an assumption of predictability but then when there's that like little bit of chaos thrown in then it's like i just am always tense i just never know what's going to happen next and that's dennis hopper does that better than anyone i gotta ask have you seen under siege oh i've not seen good. under siege oh there you go die hard on the ship die hard die. on the ship that's right uh but uh, <laughs> i have a question i was thinking about saying the rock the movie not the person for this is that a die hard on a yeah, kind of is. That's what we count it. <laughs> is, it is it Die Hard on a Rock? Is that what it's Die Hard on a prison? That's is it? Does it take it. place in a Hard Rock cafe? Oh fuck, that would be great. I also <laughs> think that's three. Like I think, that movie. I think that's three thousand miles to Graceland. That's how the opening <laughs> sequence goes. Um, a movie very few people have seen. I've only seen that scene. Um, <laughs> remember, eccentric, not crazy, because he's rich. Uh, that goes back to speed. Guys, that's our podcast about Die Hard. My God, what that this was so off the rails. I love that. Let's get into our uh, social media. Uh, let's get uh, social media. Jesus Christ. Pop culture recommendations and our social media plugs. Now, guys, you know, it could be a movie, TV show, anime, comic book, song, doesn't matter. What do you got for us, Tyler? Kick us off. Uh, I've been obsessed with the movie. It, it was in theaters. It just came out on Netflix, Bullet Train. Not sure if anyone saw it. That movie is fantastic. It's Die Hard on a Bullet Train. On a train. Under Siege 2 is also Die Hard on a Train. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's a bunch of characters all on this bullet train in Japan for whatever reason. And it's one of those beautiful movies where so many plots interweave expertly. And it's just a really good time at the movies. It also has Andrew Koji, who is an actor we should all be talking about. He's the star of the TV show Warrior. And he's fantastic so everyone should just get hip to him and check out bullet train and where can people find you on social media and your writings yes you can find me on i'm at tyler mccarthy on twitter uh if you go there you'll find a lot of me plugging my podcast on the breakcast feed that i do with my lovely wife who couldn't be here today called not couple goals her name's ali nelson uh, and you can find my writing i write for usa insider so all things wwe nascar uh chucky uh, I got to interview uh, the great Don Mancini. So those articles all came out and I'm really proud of them. Uh, so check it out there. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. My co-host, my favorite co-host, because Al's not here. So I'll just say, I would say to Al's here even. I'm also one of your co-hosts, Phil. Well, for the Socially Distance Podcast. <laughs> I meant for this podcast, Alex, you son of a bitch. Um, where could a pop culture recommendation for you and for Brandon, feel free to drop, drop in. And of course, uh, plug your social media where people could find both of you. Uh, so I am at a Mandalorian on Instagram primarily. It's where I'm, I'm active. And of course, Bill threw in the anime part for me because that's what I've been watching pretty much nonstop. Mm -hmm. uh, Spy Family is my pop culture recommendation. It, Of course, they're coming out with season two and a movie. 
uh, coming up here in the next year, but um, very good anime about uh, a spy who is trying to uh, stop the war between the East and West and has to uh, try to, to connect with one of the colonels whose kid is in a very elite school. So he has to pretend he has a family, um, gets a, picks up an, a very adorable orphan who is actually a telepath, um, does not, that's unbeknownst to the spy, but um, mm-hmm. but basically... Uh, then he also has to find a wife. He actually, he does, but she's a uh, assassin for hire. So nobody, everybody has these secret lives, but nobody knows. But they function very well as a anime family. The storylines are very cute. It's got a good mix of action. Um, so it's a really, really, really good anime. And also the manga is very good as well. So that's my pop culture recommendation. So Brandon, you want to jump in? Yeah. Uh, so Brandon Vice, uh, mainly on Instagram. Uh, otherwise... Twitter, uh, Havoc, H-A-V-O-K, 1775. That is my plug. Uh, anime, of course. That's why I'm dragging her through everything. And everyone complains about One Piece. But it's so long. No, it's so amazing. It's not just a pirate anime. No, there's so much more. There's conspiracies and backstories and what the heck just happened. And you never know what's going to happen next. And it just keeps transcending on each level. Alex? Thank you for being the, thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon, for making your podcast debut with us. Uh, Alex, uh, thank you for being the impetus of this podcast um, and so many more. Uh, tell us about all the work you do. Uh, this was Alex's third podcast today. He is a yes. true warrior. I don't know how. One he... more tomorrow uh, night with uh, with Tyler and Allie. We're oh, yeah. About, we're going to be talking about Cruel Intentions for the Not Couple Goals podcast. <laughs> I so, went on a terrible, terrible first date. It's double date, I should say, to see that. Well, I've never watched it again because of that. Well, I, I don't want to spoil the episode, but I will say that I thought it was the coolest, sexiest movie when I was 15. And different opinion now, but I still love it for different reasons. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, a lot of talk of sexual awakenings during that movie. So strap oh, yourself. In. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> oh, God. I'll uh, listen to that one for sure. But uh, uh, but yeah. So in addition to that, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings and on Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow my film podcast, Cinema Joes at Cinema Joes on Twitter. Uh, this month we reviewed Avatar The Way of Water and I loved it. It was fantastic. It, I was super skeptical about another Avatar movie because I just a lot of time had passed and I just didn't really find myself thinking about Avatar that much in the 13 years since the first one. Uh, but I went in and I saw it in 3D IMAX and it was unbelievable. I was weeping. I was cheering. It was an incredible experience. So definitely go see it. See it on the biggest screen possible. Um, we're going to we talked about that in, in our episode and, um, you know, two out of the three people on the podcast really liked it. Uh, so definitely <laughs> listen to that. Um, also, the TV podcast that I do with Bill and Josh Trinacki, the uh, uh, TV break on the Pot Break TV podcast feed. Uh, December's episode is all about the year that was 2022. So we talk about the biggest stories, best streamers, and uh, our favorite series of the year. Definitely check that out. Um, and Bill versus the MCU. Uh, you know that episode is finally going live. Our our year end wrap up where we uh, host the Feigies, uh, which is our award show celebrating the highs and lows of the first four phases of the MCU. Spoilers: um, We cried so much on that. We do episode. we cried a lot? I mean, we did it to ourselves. We did a whole we did one of our awards that Bill came up with for us was the Tom tier, the Tom's Tears Awards, where we uh, uh, talk about our favorite moments that made us cry and talking about those moments made us cry all over again. So definitely listen to that. (laughs) 
you can you want do to that on the cry breakfast. about Yondu's death. I, it's I mean, right, right there. <laughs> it's, it's how could you not? Um, and uh, yeah, so my my pop culture recommendation, I'm just going to lean into the divorced dad uh, storyline that we've been stuck on and uh, recommend Hulu's Fleischman is in Trouble, which is a um, TV show, a right. uh, miniseries starring Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan and Adam Brody. Uh, some of uh, my favorite people, uh, they well, not personally, I can't say I'm friends with them, but uh, in terms of in my movies. Yes. Uh, and it's, about, you know, Jesse Eisenberg plays a newly divorced dad. Uh, he's a doctor living in New York City. He has complicated relationship uh, feelings about his ex-wife, Claire Danes. His college friends, Lizzie Kaplan and Adam Brody, factor into things. It's based off of a book uh, that was pretty well received uh, a number of years ago. And it's really fantastic. It's the, it's almost finished its run. So a lot of episodes are on Hulu right now. I really recommend people checking it out. It's got a really great voice. It really feels like it almost should be a film because it has such a really great sense of perspective and style but uh it's a miniseries because that's the world that we live in right now and all the best things are on tv so that should be something you guys check out as for me uh my pop culture recommendation this week um is going to pop our good buddy tyler here because it's going to be daredevil the series yes Tyler is a huge Daredevil fan. Al has been bugging me to watch forever. And Alex, since we have our TV, our Bill versus the MCU episode out already, um, yes. uh, we are season two. We are doing the Defenders saga and our January episode will be on season one of Daredevil. This show was created just for me. It's so goddamn so Catholic. Excited. It's so Catholic. It's so, so Catholic. It's so fucking Catholic. I love it. Catholic it's like, guilt and bar fights. I and mean, I, it's like, on. it's not even just Catholic. It's fucking <laughs> Irish Catholic as hell. It's just like boxing, alcohol, guilt, <laughs> more boxing, alcohol. Dramatic confessions to a priest in the Ex- dark. Exactly. Dad's not great dads. Yeah, but you know, it's sort of okay, dads. And then, you know, just like... Like, you know, Matt Murdock and every woman thirsted after him because he's a blind Irish guy hiding his accent. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's that's my series. I'm halfway through it. It was great. If I'm cheating because I can, uh, my other recommendation, if, if you're going for a movie before the end of the year and you have like three hours to kill, uh, it's a movie called RRR. It's an uh, film from India. It's one of the most ins- like bonkers films you're ever going to see. It is like bo- borrows storylines from like uh, The Departed and Point Break and sits it in like colonial India. And it's like uh, musicals and dance and there's songs and dance numbers and they're throwing tigers and bullets and arrows. And there's just there's a love story and it's about friends. And it's like it's absolutely one of the most insane things you're ever going to see in your life. And it is worth every second of watching it. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, go check it out. It's on Netflix right now. It's going to be big in award season this year. Um, definitely. I'm pretty sure it'll get an international Oscar nomination. People are it saying, is not eligible for best international film because uh, India did not submit it. They, I thought they did. Nope. It's good. But, they are, but the studio, the studio is campaigning it in a lot of other categories. So it might and, pop up on technical yeah. awards. It might. So, but anyway, India, why? 
It, it was the biggest <laughs> movie you had in forever. Just should have marketed it. It was great. Just watch it anyway. It's awesome. But anyway, so I might be writing about that for the pop break before the end of the year. Follow me on Twitter at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, where it's basically me talking wrestling nonsense and stuff from thepopbreak.com, site I've been running for the last 13 years. Uh, we talk every single day about movies, music, TV, anime, pro wrestling, pop culture, digital trends. Our digital uh, trends editor has a lot to say about Twitter and Elon Musk these days, so check all that stuff out. That's a lot of fun uh we have a whole podcast network check all that out of course like alex mentioned all a podcast i'm on with him we do check out socially distanced the breakcast pop break tv and the winner still is the way too early oscar podcast on all your favorite streaming platforms uh so that's it for this episode uh merry christmas everyone if you celebrate ho 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 i have a machine gun yippee ki motherfuckers we'll see you at the end of the year for the first ever socially distanced awards 